Lord have mercy. <sighs> we can just go home. <laughs> uh, good morning, North Shore. Um, it is good to be before you. Um, the reason um, that song was so appropriate is that, uh, first of all, that song was, was a, almost an anthem for uh, the civil rights movement. And the, the birth of that song came from basically from Harriet Tubman. And she basically had to instruct the, the slaves who were trying to run. And she had to invite them to get into the rough bodies of water and be prepared to swim and navigate the tough, the tough waters in order for the dogs to not be able to pick up their scent. And so that was the birth of this song, and so that, that's how it became this old Negro spinner to, to wade in the water. But then you hear the phrase, God is gonna trouble the water. And, when I, and that's, that means that God is involved in the process. And what I hope you will hear today is that uh, God troubles the water. God helps us to navigate us in the water. And he also helps us to go over the water and grow all for him to be glorified. Amen. Um, um, please come up. If you, wanna, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Um, we have some, um, some folks coming up um, to hand your Bible if you need one. Um, for the most part, a lot of the scriptures are going to be on the screen, but if you want one, please. Um, and the topic then that Scott referred to as we, t as we talk about um, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, uh, of course, he's known as a civil rights uh, leader, and he's, his God had called him to talk about the issue of, uh, of race. And the church often doesn't want to engage this troubled water. And there are many of you, for many reasons, have always not enjoyed engaging this troubled water. Um, some of you may feel like, oh my gosh, this is a Republican issue. This is a Democrat issue. This is a left-right issue. Uh, let's be real clear, no. The story I'm gonna read you shows it that it is clearly a Jesus issue and it's clearly an issue that God brought troubled water and invited them to engage in. So I don't care what your political affiliation is, this is a Jesus issue. So I wanna nail that. So with that, if, some, if there may be some of you feel like just a tension come up and fear come up as when the word race and those things are mentioned, um, some of you may feel like, oh, I wanna leave or I, I, it's hard to sit, but I wanna invite you. If you feel that way, I'm gonna invite you to just have the spirit to bring you back. If you find yourself drifting off, if you find yourself being defensive, I invite you to have the spirit, bring you back, bring comfort. Amen? Amen. So, and, and Dr. Martin Luther King, it, it feels like a privilege of, uh, of speaking in Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, first of all, my birthday is just the day uh, after his. That's cool. Uh, but um, it's somebody that I have um, grown up and I know that as an African-American male, I stand on the shoulders of a Dr. Martin Luther King. 
Now, as I talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, I know that I'm not talking about a perfect man. Um, I've had, had people approach me and then people say, you know, well, did you know about this? He had an affair, this, 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 this. Paul? <laughs> David? Um, God has a habit of using flawed people and, not on, and to bring prophetic words. So, um, God used Dr. Martin Luther King, and there's many messages that he has brought. I mean, uh, the beloved community, and I have a dream speech of one of the most prominent ones used. There's some messages that Dr. Martin Luther King that will make you much less comfortable that are actually not talked about a lot. But when I think about this message of Dr. Martin Luther King, um, I, it's a... It's a, it's a conversation or speech that people love to hear, love to hear, love to hear. But then I have the question, do you hear what he's asking you to do? Do you hear what he's inviting you to do? Dr. Martin Luther King, one, is inviting you to step into much, much discomfort. Dr. King is inviting you to step into your own biases, your own assumptions, your own stereotypes. He's inviting you to tell a truth. He's inviting the church to tell the truth. He's inviting us to do a, a, let God do a heart search. So when I listen to that speech, um, honestly, that speech, it, it, people clap and love it, but that speech ought to make you shudder because of what you've been invited to consider. And so, but Peter and Cornelius God has tasted this as well, and I believe Dr. Martin Luther King, his message, today we get to see, I think, two, two folks, Peter and Cornelius, kind of now have to live this out. So I'm going to walk us through Acts 10, and let's, we can see the speech, but let's talk about how, it's, how it was just this crazy navigation of Peter and Cornelius having to live, having to live this out. One of the things that um, God had to call Peter on was his, basically his, his own ethnocentrism. And what that means is basically um, ethnocentrism is basically you taking your culture, your traditions that you know so well, and judge everybody else's culture according to yours. So basically, your culture becomes the standard in which everything is judged by. And basically, that is what God had to address, adjust, um, address with Peter. So as I begin to engage, in Acts, God sets something up. And neither Peter nor Cornelius has any idea of what's happening. As you begin Acts, in the first 10 verses, we see first Cornelius, where the angel appears and basically tells him to send two of your men to, to this man, Peter. Send for him and basically have him come back to speak to you. He has a word for you. Now, right off the bat, that's a problem. Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter is a Jew. So basically, this angel is asking 
Cornelius to basically do something really crazy. Like, you're going to invite, you want me to and call a Jew who doesn't like us, who thinks less of us, to come and speak to my household. Okay. But he did it. He had a choice to make. He, he did it. And as you move towards verse 10, then you also have the vision of Peter. Where he's on the roof, he enters into a trance, and in the trance, the angel tells him of the two men who are coming, and he tells him to go down and conversate with them. Now, here we see right off the bat, God is troubling the water for Peter. Because what he does before he, with, before he does, he, he invites him to see a tray come down. And on this tray is, is basically a whole bunch of creepy and crawly things on, the, on this tray. And, and his first response is, no, I will not eat of this common or unclean thing. Yuck. And God says, do not call anything that I have made unclean. And, and I, I wish I would have seen Peter's face um, when he said that. But the first thing we need to know about Peter, that Peter was trying to be a law-abiding Jew. He was trying to obey the law that I don't eat these kind of things. As a Jew, I'm not supposed to. But one of the things we see, God was inviting Peter to have to change the application of how he lived out the law because his application of living out the law was to call God's good creation unclean. His own ethnocentrism. So God interrupted him right off the bat. Then sends him down to go meet these, meet these folks. Um, and not only do you go meet them, but then you want me to take them in, then I'm supposed to go with them. This is a screwy setup. Everything is wrong about it. God is breaking all kinds of laws, <laughs> essentially. Well, I'm going to put on um, the first verse 17 to 23. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is this reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Now, Peter being the law-abiding citizen that he was supposed to be, he had a major decision to make. What Peter was supposed to do is go, no way. I am going with you. I am a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're, uh, you're kind of a half-breed, you're kind of, uh, so, but to be seen with you, no way. He could have made that decision. That's the one he was supposed to make. 
But instead, he had, he had, had to want to trust what God was doing. He had to trust this angel that God, he had it somewhere go, okay, I'll obey. So it's a critical part of the story. He had to make a decision whether to go along with his own bias, live that out, almost be captive to it, or obey God and trust him. So, like I said, he goes out and he um, invites him into his house to stay, but then to go out with them and be seen, there's something that I wonder if Peter's believing about God that is enabling him to take the steps that he's taking. He has to be. So again, God is setting this up. If you look at verses 30 through 33, so Peter has made his journey, and Cornelius says, he's arrived four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. I wonder what Peter was praying. What in the world was he praying? I, it, it doesn't say, but the context makes me really curious. Sin. Therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded uh, by the Lord. Again, Cornelius would have the right to have trust issues with Peter. Because that was the, the general relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So you think less of me to invite you to my house. And again, you could be coming to my house to just degrade us. And if I'm Cornelius' family, like I, if I'm his family, and you bring somebody to my house and my home and only to degrade us, when they leave, it's me and you. <laughs> because you have set us up to be shamed. But Cornelius, too, like Peter, <sighs> I'm, trusting, I'm trusting God what you're doing here. I don't know, but okay. So we see God has troubled both Peter and Cornelius' water. First, we can, let's be really clear. We see God is really good at interrupting. God is really good at calling us out of our comfort zones. That is what he does here. Am I the only one? God does a really good job of calling you out of your comfort zone. And that's what, we see, that's what we see him doing here. And again, he is calling them both to risk beyond their own cultural biases, their own ethnocentrism. He's inviting them to go, whoa, especially Peter. Here's what I, here's what I believed. Man, when he told me, don't call anything I made unclean, ouch. Wow, wow, I want, wow, that's there in me. That was in Peter. That was in him. And God invited him to do a heart check. The truth is, it would have been easier for both Cornelius and Peter to stay. Peter, stay home. Cornelius, ain't no way I'm inviting him. No way. 
I was, um, as a student, I, I became a Christian in um, 92. And shortly after I became a Christian, I was involved in a church. And I, was, I went to um, in Eastern Illinois University. Um, I was at a church. Um, and it was a predominantly um, African-American church. And, um, you know, I grew up in an um, African-American church. And, and that was me. Well, uh, a, friend of, uh, a friend of mine who uh, played a big part of me becoming a believer was, um, and we've now been, um, a white brother, we've now been friends for many, many years now. We did ministry together. But he was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship was known as a predominantly white organization on campus. And I remember he invited me to um, the first large group. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll go. And I walked into the large group and worship, and I walked in, of course, I was like, oh, wow. Mm. It wasn't too many folks of color in the room, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. But okay, I'm going to sit down. Well, and, I, and then the worship started, and they invited the worship team up, and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen with the worship team? And honestly, I had never seen so many acoustic guitars line up ever in my life. <laughs> I, where I come from, the Hammond, you know, the, the, the B3 Hammond, the organ, the keyboards. I was like, what in the world is this? What are keyboards at least? So, and, and, and again, I'd never heard of, you know, I, I, shine, Jesus, shine. And I was like, <clears throat> I'm like, these are new songs. Um, <laughs> well, and, 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 I was, and I was like, I'm like, God, what are you, what am I doing here? And so to get involved with InterVarsity, but, and think about my own church, on any given week, it was almost like, oh, it, to go from InterVarsity on a Thursday to church on Sunday felt crazy. Like, what in the world is going on here? These are two worlds that don't mix, if you will. Well, well one particular day, uh, Patrick, my friend from InterVarsity, he actually talked to me, hey, can we consider mixing? Can we consider having an event with InterVarsity and Unity Gospel Fellowship? Um, can we, let's talk to the exec board and let's see if we can do something together. And I was like, okay. <laughs> well, so they, and it took about a week for the conversation to happen. And what happened was, it turned out that in a varsity group, the exec board decided against it. They were like, no. And I was like, hmm. But honestly, I was like, why am I not surprised? Got it. Um, and the conversation that came after that, but basically, they didn't want to stay, they didn't want to step out of the comfort zone. We're us, they're them, let's just leave it at that. Prime example of what Peter, and unfortunately, and Peter and Cornelius could have did. I should have did. So, but if we move down, we see that they didn't. So let's talk about let's talk about the result uh, of of some of their, of their of their obedience. I'm going to read verses 34 to 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good things, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with, God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, made him, made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through, through, um, through his name. That first part where Peter says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality in every nation. When I look at this passage, here's what, I, here's what I see Peter doing. Here's what I see Peter modeling. One, we see Peter confess. He has arrived at the house, and he is basically telling the people, he's now in household in front of Cornelius, and he's basically telling them what he thought of them. He is telling them that I thought God thought I was the favorite, and you were not. I didn't think very much of you. So one, we see Peter confess but we also see Peter is repenting of his attitude. Thirdly, what I believe we see Peter doing, I believe we see Peter lamenting. That there's a sense that I have misjudged and it's not, it's not just a I'm sorry, but there's a heartbreak over the position that he has held. And fourthly, he tells the truth about where he is. He didn't come up and try to fake the facade and say something that he was not. He told them the truth. Here's who I really, really am. So I want you to take notice of the posture of Peter. He confesses, he repents, he laments, and he tells the truth. Well, can you, can you imagine what the hearers and Cornelius, what, can you imagine what their response is? This man, who is a well-known man, is standing in front of us, telling us he's repenting right in front of us. I wish I could, I wish I could have been there because what I believe that at that moment, Peter was breaking all kinds of things. But it didn't happen through denial. It didn't happen through some kind of, it didn't happen through facade. It happened because he was honest, he was vulnerable, and he was humble. And it broke something. And, what, and as we move in the passage, what I want to say is set, set up for the Holy Spirit to move powerfully. Because as we see, 
what ends up happening is that the Holy Spirit shows up, and it shows up powerfully. And I, be, and I honestly believe, again, that God has been setting this up all along, and what Peter did was crucial. What Cornelius, what Cornelius, he, what he did was also crucial. But Peter, it was important what he did. Verse 44 through 48, we see, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard, and the believers from all among circumstances who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain there for some days. So we see a room that is ripe for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. From Acts, from the beginning of Acts in chapter 10, verses 1, we now see what God's intent was the whole time. We see God's intent, but, but I want to say not just one. He had a few things in mind. But I want to say the primary one was that the gospel was shared among the Gentiles and that Jesus was made known. And the Gentiles got a chance to finally understand that they were enveloped also into the gospel, and he was also for them. So that was, but don't you also think that God was very intentional about dealing with Peter? This wasn't just about the, this wasn't just about the, the household. This is about Peter and God going, I need to get you. But I need to get you at your bias and your assumptions. I need, to get you, I need to get you because this is going to do harm. And this is not of my kingdom. And, I, and not only that, but I need, I'm, I'm inviting you to humility. I'm inviting you to vulnerability. I'm inviting you to tell the truth. And not deny it. For both Peter and Cornelius, Cornelius, hey, I, man, I, I can imagine God going to Cornelius. Cornelius, I know I had you scared there. I, I know, I know, I know it felt like I was inviting some, uh, some, just some really bad things to your home. But you had to trust me too. Because what was it like for Cornelius to have to sit there and hear from Peter but what was it also like for him to sit and hear this Jew repent in front of him? And had to break something. And again, what was it like for the whole house? I mean, I, I have to, I, it doesn't say, it doesn't give a lot of detail as far as what was happening. But I, I'm so curious about what were the conversations they were having. I, I wonder what was happening. 
I, I wonder what it looked like for, all, for that thing to be, for the Holy Spirit to come and, and have broke all of those things. I wish I could have seen how Peter was talking differently, how he was speaking differently, how he was thinking differently, how Cornelius was thinking differently, and how all of those folks were like, what in the world is this? Wow. So God had a lot in mind in this engagement that he was setting up. But it took Peter to make a big decision. It took Cornelius to make a big decision. And it took Peter to have to do a lot of work. And what's interesting is the work that Peter did, like me, I'm, I'm stubborn. I can be. Be quiet, Veronica. Don't say a word. <laughs> I feel, I feel my wife. Uh, but, uh, but I, 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 I'm trying to imagine a time frame between Peter walking from his place to their place. It said it was a, a few days. I, I would have needed a couple of months. I'm like, uh, God. Um, and, and, from, and for myself, the story I shared with you about the, the inner varsity, I, I, know good and, I know good and well that God has had to do a lot, a lot of work in me. And God has had to do, we've all, we can all look down on our nose at Peter if we want to. No. Everybody in this room has their own ethnocentrism, everybody in this room has their own cultural assumptions. You all have them if you live here in this country. And so let's be really clear. One of the things I said, Peter had to tell the truth. And when I think about the posture that Peter took, it's a posture alone for the church to take. Because it's often the church has not modeled well what Peter and Cornelius did. The church has not modeled what Peter and Cornelius did. Definitely not what Peter did. Because many of us have kind of, even there's even a theology around it. And that is, you know, again, that whole passage of Galatians 3, where, uh, where there's no Greek nor Jew nor Gentile, that's often used as the basis of a colorblind theology. And I want to say, I don't, believe that is a, I don't think that is a correct theology of that passage. Because what's really true is, Peter did not go into that house and erase their faces or erase their culture. That is not what he did. But it's really clear that the Holy Spirit came and says, I want everyone. But what's still true, I Psalm 139 all of you. All of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't make any mistakes whatsoever. Me being African American is not an antithesis to being a Christian. I'm often told, and many people are often told, leave your color at home. What? That makes no sense whatsoever. But a lot of that, I believe, is also out of a lot of fear. That Peter and Cornelius, there's something about fear of talking about differences. 
rather than differences being engaged. So when I think about this work that we saw with Peter and Cornelius, these I believe all the things God wanted to break down. Because what's, Revelations 5 and Revelation 7, both of those chapters talk about a coming kingdom that is, that it, where there's every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That means, that means there will be diversity and culture in heaven and it will all glorify God. It will not be erased. Now, what's also true is that many of us get uncomfortable when we have to talk about difference. And we have to talk about. Because getting to know, getting to know people in their, in their culture, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. That, that's, that's a lot of intentionality. To have to sit down, I mean, for Peter to have to travel and actually be in a room with them, to have to, to, have to take the posture he did and to actually get to know them, and let alone have, get to know what my how I've assumed you. Oh yeah, um, yeah, you're Asian. You like rice. It's much easier to go with that assumption to actually have to engage your own bias, or it's easier to make them colorblind and you see nothing. That's not the gospel. That's not Revelation 5, that's not Revelation 7. So the topic of this message invites us to engage. The last part of this passage, if we look at Acts 11, we see an awesome scene. And basically, Peter's in Acts 11, 1 through 18, Paul, um, Peter tells his testimony. And basically, he has to go back and report. And what Peter, what he was been invited to do could have really gotten him in trouble. He had to report to, to, the, to the leaders. Where have you been? We heard what happened. What Peter was supposed to do was kind of, kind of, kind of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have done it. But his transformation wouldn't allow it. His transformation would not allow it. His transformation and the posture he took opened his heart to finally be able to stand in the midst of them, tell them the whole story, because basically all, this part of Acts 11 1 through 18 is basically Peter walking them from verse 1 in chapter 10 all the way through to the end. He tells the story, but he tells it with strength. He tells it with courage, and he tells it with boldness. Knowing again, well, there was plenty of, what were you thinking? Why are you talking about that? Why are you digging into that? Why did why did why why? And I think when it comes to this issue uh, again around race, ethnicity, whatever, that's often the posture. Why are we got to talk about that? 
Why'd you go there? Why'd you go there? God wants to do something, folks. And so when Peter told a story about all that had happened, at the very end, it says their response was they fell silent. When we think about silence, we think about all. We, we think about something that has stopped us in our tracks. And so just hearing them, hearing Peter, they were in awe, and they went forward to glorifying God. So God has something for them, and his part of his job was also to have Peter go back to his folk and say, here's what I did. Oh, and by the way, here's what you need to do too. And they glorified God. In response, what I hope, what I hope you see after God has set this whole thing up, as we look at Peter and Cornelius, God invited them to troubled water. God is inviting us to engage in troubled waters. I believe Scott said it really, really well. The conversations are happening whether you like it or not. And you can try to politicize it all you want to. No. The world already believes often that they don't believe our Jesus cares about this issue. And nor Jesus can, can handle it. But it is clear in the scripture that Jesus is, has trouble, is troubling this water. And will we say yes? The reason we can say yes, I believe Josh says something profound. And the truth is, we serve a Jesus who is the bridge over the troubled waters. He enables us to have this conversation. Because of Jesus, we don't have to avoid it. We have the trust that Jesus can hold us in our discomfort. We have the trust that Jesus can hold us in the hard conversations. That Jesus can hold us as we talk about difference. Hold us in a place when we, are, when we don't understand. We hold us when we're in a place where we're defensive. Jesus can hold us. We're still one in Christ. We may fight and argue. We're still one in Christ. God is big enough. He is. <laughs> Secondly, what we see is that what I hope you hear, the gospel is not colorblind. Oh, man, I hope I said that enough. It's not colorblind, it's in color engaging. It's engaging. Your Asianness, your native, black, white. Those are not the antithesis of being a believer. God has gifted you. Have you ever been to a Korean church and see how they worship? Have you ever seen the uniqueness? Oh. As an African American brother, it blessed the heck out of me. And it had no hammer, and I had to learn from them. 
but I had to take a posture. And believe that colorblindness, you miss out. It's a very popular, a very popular thing among the church. And I think it hurts us because we miss out. It sets, it sets ethnocentrism right on the forefront. Because I promise you, if you go colorblind, you would judge people according to your own standard. You will. Because that's all you had. That's, that's your only lens. It's your only lens. It's natural. But if there's an understanding that while I get to learn from what God has done in different places, different races, different cultures, and it's uncomfortable, it is. And lastly, <clears throat> or thirdly actually, that you, are you willing to surrender your own cultural and ethnic biases and assumptions? Or are you willing to surrender them? Can you ask God how you hold them? Because again, we all do. Then lastly, be curious and slow to speak and quick to listen. And further says, slow to anger. In that room, I told you a story I told you earlier, in Chicago, when I went, when I, um, God, showed, God showed me, um, uh, my, God showed me my own anger in 94. And God invited me to have to admit where was I not being honest because I didn't want to lose relationships. Where my, ang where my anger was. I have not always enjoyed my white brothers and sisters. That's just true. And it was not helpful for me to deny that and not tell the truth. How many of you hold your own biases? because it wasn't until I tell the truth that God was able to finally help me to have this conversation and be honest about it. But the slow to speak, again, Peter was a, Peter was a good model. It's gonna take a lot of listening, a lot of curiosity, a lot of dealing with your own assumptions in order to begin to have these conversations in a way that's healthy. Worship team, I'm going to have you go and come up. And we're going to end just, just with a basic song that, that says, I surrender all. And we're going to have people um, up here um, for prayer. And some of you may, have, may feel like um, you need prayer for um, not just around this. Um, so please, please come up. If, if you need prayer, regardless of what you need prayer for. But for some of you, if you feel like God is laying something on your heart, that you feel like you want, like regarding this, if you feel like, God, there's something in me, I would love to come receive prayer, would you do so? And the next step will be, you guys will get a chance to engage if you go along with the life group um, study, 
there's going to be some further discussion. And for many of you, you will want to avoid that one and not do it. I'm going to ask that you don't. I'm going to ask that you engage the material. Even if the discussion ends up being spent, this is where I'm uncomfortable. This is where I feel why it's hard for me. This is where I feel like I need to, to begin and step into. If that's, the whole, if that's the entire discussion you have, then that's a good one. Because can you be honest about where you are? Can you allow other people to be honest with you where they are? And trust that Jesus is going to hold you both. And Jesus is not inviting you to avoid anything. And from three to five today at the first Presbyterian church, and there's going to be a, um, also an MLK um, celebration. Um, I think there's the flyers out there in the lobby, I believe. Um, Please, some of us are going to be there singing, Brittany, Beth, myself, Veronica. Just come and have a good time and get a chance to celebrate. Um, but basically what I have brought, Dr. Martin Luther King's message is not so easy, is it? It's not. It's not easy work. But it's going to invite surrender. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are the bridge, that you've made Jesus the bridge over very troubling water. May we take you upon our offer to be the bridge that allows us and invites us to enter in, holds us to navigate it, and the bridge that also makes way for redemption. Jesus, thank you that it's because of you, and thank you for your for how you've used Dr. Martin Luther King. And thank you for thank you for your word. Amen.